Hello, and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, your host, and uh, on a podcast that specializes in movies that are underloved or forgotten or need a little more attention in the world, I found a very worthy candidate today, and I'm very excited to talk to you about a movie that was all the rage. This was a big, big deal in the mid-80s, and then it is completely forgotten today. I don't know what happened to it, where it went, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about today. What the hell happened to Cloak and Dagger from 1984? And as we delve into this mystery, I'm going to bring on my guest today. He is a uh, friend of mine. He is a uh, recent or just about to graduate college. He is a uh, prospective middle school teacher. And this guy is a huge movie nerd. This guy, we, we talk about movies, movie locations, filming stuff all the time. And I'm very excited to do a podcast with him. Please welcome Ryan Weiss. Thank you so much, Mario. And I just want to say, if this podcast doesn't go well, I'm going to blow both your kneecaps off. <laughs> <laughs> wow, going right to the action, are you? <laughs> yeah. No, but it, it's funny. Um, we both know each other through Survivor. And like when we hang out and stuff in person, we really don't even talk about Survivor. We really just talk about movies. Yeah, that's the thing. It's I've, I'm very excited. Ryan's one of the top guests I wanted to have once I started doing this podcast. Because, yeah, like you said, we go to Survivor events and just talk about movies. I'm like, well, let's do a movie show. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good to finally be doing this because especially nowadays, I find movies much more entertaining and substantial than anything Survivor related. So th this is great. Okay, and, and, and since you mentioned that, I do have to bring this up. You're what? How old are you, like 12? Uh, close to it, 21, so just just reverse that, yeah. Okay. So Ryan's 21, and I have to ask this question. How the hell do you know about Cloak and Dagger? This movie it was way before your time. It's not one that anybody your age should know. I'm very interested in, to know, how do you even know about this? That's a great question, because like, even if you Google Cloak and Dagger, you seriously will not find anything about it. Like I to the, Earlier today, I was trying to Google Cloak and Dagger, and I seriously went page by page, and I couldn't find anything. You have to Google Cloak and Dagger, 1984, to even see something about this movie. But uh, my dad, I, I'll give him a plug here, I guess. He writes books about video games. So his name is Brett Weiss. He's written a reference guide called Classic Home Video Games. That includes consoles like Atari 20, 2600 and 5200. The 5200 we'll talk about in a little bit with this movie. Uh, the NES, Sega Genesis, all that. He's written a couple other things. He's about to publish a book that's about the Super Nintendo. So a bunch of nerdy stuff. You know, so and I've grown up just surrounded by video games uh i'm actually recording in a game room right now we have like five tvs scattered around the room we have a galaga arcade machine there's a couple dozen consoles scattered all over the place i mean it's crazy so when we have people over they look at me in either in amazement or serious concern but yeah so with all these video games around video game movies those were certainly no exception now you have video game movies like uh you know super mario brothers mortal kombat Final Fantasy, Resident Evil, like all those, those are all kind of terrible, but you have movies that are about video games or feature video games like uh, King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, which is amazing, uh, Wreck-It Ralph, The Wizard, War Games, Last Starfighter, and especially Cloak and Dagger. So I was exposed to a lot of those movies growing up, Cloak and Dagger a lot more recently than some of those other ones, but yeah, video games and video game movies, really, really huge part of my life and just video games in general kind of a nerdy and scary thing to say, but it's a big part of my life. So Cloak and Dagger, I'm so, so excited to talk about this because it really is a great movie. It's okay to uh, out yourself as a nerd because you're among friends here. I'm very excited <laughs> yeah. to hear that I've met someone who's just about as nerdy as I am. So welcome oh, to the good. family. So good to be here. Okay, and one of the other things that I wanted to uh, mention before we get into the movie is that you do a lot of film location 
visits. I know you're a part of a uh, Facebook group group called the Delta Bravo Urban Ex- Exploration <laughs> Team, right? Why don't you tell yes. people what that is and what, what you do? So I want to, like, I'm a member of that Facebook group. Uh, I won't call them a cult, but I, I wouldn't say that I'm a, like a part of that group specifically. I'm a member like of the Facebook group, not like a member member. But yeah, so what I do is I go around to different cities or different locations and I track where uh, I track different movie locations. So I've been to well, me and you have been to what was it? Back to the Future and Halloween. Yeah, in Pasadena. The, yeah, in South Pasadena, right? Uh, some of the ones I've been to are Planet of the Apes. Uh, the Poseidon Adventure, which is my favorite movie, RoboCop, uh, Jaws 2, Breaking Bad. That's not a, that's a TV location, but National Lampoon's Vacation, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, there have been several. So uh, last summer, my dad and I, we went to the Alamo City Comic Con in San Antonio, which is super nerdy in and of itself. But we, we've established that I'm a nerd. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I remembered. Wait, Cloak and Dagger. That's where this was filmed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll talk about this, but Cloak and Dagger is just one big love letter to San Antonio. Mm-hmm. So it's the perfect kind of movie to like go to the locations for, because in the movie they kind of spell out where all the locations are. So uh, last summer when we went when we went to Alamo City Comic Con, we saw many of the locations. So we like we went to the River Rock, R- River Walk, the um, Japanese Sunken Gardens, uh, the Alamo. Obviously, I mean they're just scattered all over the place. It's really really cool, but. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big movie location dork. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why people I know people have wondered like, oh, I wanted to talk about Cloak and Dagger. Why'd you bring along bring on this kid who's only 21? And I'm like, Ryan's <laughs> the only person I've ever known who's been to these filming locations, and you've taken like pictures of before and after, and you've posted them them on the internet, which yeah. I find endlessly fascinating because I love stuff like that because you're you're in Texas, so this is fairly local to you. I mean, somewhat local right. to you, right? Yeah, yeah, I go to school at UT, so it's only about an hour and a half away. Okay, so there we go. We have established your credentials as our cloak and dagger expert, <laughs> even though you did not see it in the theater. I did not, no. I was, what, like negative 12? I have to tell my story on the first time I saw Cloak and Dagger. This is one of my all-time favorite movie stories, and this will give you a, a small glimpse into my odd upbringing as a child. Uh, one of the things, I grew up in Seattle, and uh, my mom would go to movies. But she'd always take me and my brother to movies, and my mom had a habit of being habitually late for everything that was her trademark gloria lanza the late person to the fact that i would like when i'd get out of school at two o'clock she would routinely get there at like 245 to pick me up so i would just tell her that i got got out of school at three like i would just lie to try to work around my mom's lateness issue so one day in seattle in 1984 there's this new movie playing cloak and dagger which again is a it was a huge movie at the time it was a double feature with the last starfighter which is another movie that we'll talk about on staff picks at some point so it's like the movie started at like 7 o'clock. It was a, a drive-in movie in Seattle. It was a double feature, Cloak and Dagger, and Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. That's well, that's our timeline here. So <laughs> so my mom drives us to the drive-in, and we got there quite late. So my first experience with Cloak and Dagger is my mom trying to get us to a 7 o'clock movie. She got there at 7.45. So the first thing I saw when we drove into Cloak and Dagger was the scene where Davy's getting stabbed on the boat at the Riverwalk. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, that's literally 45 minutes into the movie. <laughs> that sounds terrible. I know. It's horrible. I had to try to piece together. I had to reverse engineer and try to figure out what the story was up to that point in my head until I finally got to see it proper in a theater a couple weeks later. But that is my introduction to Cloak and Dagger being 45 minutes late to it at the drive-in. You're, prob- you're probably thinking, why is this sweet little innocent kid from E.T. about to get brutally murdered? Yeah, exactly. It was horrible. So uh, just shout out to my mom for ruining my Cloak and Dagger experience. <laughs> to fill people in, Cloak and Dagger, this is a uh, 
kids movie, I guess, by the very uh, <laughs> right. liberal stretch of the uh, definition. But it really was a PG-rated kids movie starring Henry Thomas, who was in E.T., who uh, I don't think I'd get any much dispute from you. One of the, the best child actors of his generation, would you say? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Henry Thomas, and he's really good in this. I think the reason this movie works is because he's so believable. And, and they, I, I wasn't sure if uh, he was still doing anything, but he was actually in Gerald's Game, the recent Netflix film. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, he played a pervert. <laughs> so was he the pervert chasing the kid on the river walk on the boat? Exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah, so Henry Thomas is in it, Dabney Coleman is in it, and that is a kind of a forgotten name now. Dabney Coleman is one of those guys who was in so many movies in the 70s and 80s, just a wonderful villain um can you think of many movies he was in off the top of your head i know he was in uh nine to five is his big one That's yeah the my, one. yeah my parents were telling me about nine to five i've not seen that one uh i know he was in war games mm -hmm. i mainly know him from recess the disney the disney tv show from the early 2000s <laughs> that's like an animated so that's that's showing my age there <laughs> yes the the most uh applicable dabney coleman vehicle <laughs> yes but yeah, he was a, a big actor in the 70s and 80s, kind of dropped off the face of the earth after the 80s, but he always played this scummy bad guy villain, and it's kind of unique in history of uh, movies here that he actually plays a good guy in this one, which is really kind of odd for him. Yeah, exactly. So Henry Thomas, Dabney Coleman, and it's basically the story of a kid, uh, Davy Osborne, played by Henry Thomas, who's just this imaginative little kid he lives in the world of board games role-playing games video games kind of lives in his own world has imaginary friends the spy that talks to him named jack flack and he's just one of these i just want to say he was basically me that that was me at 10 years old this odd little role-playing game dork <laughs> are you since we have established that you and i are similar do you have a role-playing game history such as i do I have never in my life touched a role-playing game. My my friends try to get me to play Settlers of Catan or something, whatever that's called. I, I stay like 20 feet away from it. Like, give me maybe Monopoly if I'm feeling crazy, but give me like Trouble or Candyland. That, that's 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 my goal there. <laughs> this is where you see the two degrees of, of nerddom, where I'm being looked down upon yeah. by a video game nerd. <laughs> right. You're such a loser, Mario. Damn it! <laughs> All right, so yeah, so so Davy Osborne, he's just this kid. He loves spy games and board games and video games, and he unwittingly gets uh, enmeshed in a real spy game where bad guys are coming to kill him because he gets his hands on this uh, video game cartridge that has secret plans on it. And it's one of these movies that, again, was just such a big deal at the time, but you watch it now and you're kind of surprised this movie is as harsh and as adult as it is. Yeah, that's one word for it. Yeah, it's. We'll talk a lot about this afterwards when we get to the end of the show. But I've, I've. Uh, that's part of one of my suspicions why this movie didn't age all that well because it's very grown up for a PG movie where, you know, kids are getting guns pointed at them, they're getting shot at, they're in very real danger. There's one point where a villain threatens to shred Henry Thomas's kneecaps with an Uzi, which you do not see in many PG-rated family films. <laughs> And the opening scene shows Jack Flagg beating up a bunch of Russians. I don't I don't think Washington likes that sort of thing these days. That's true. That's true. At the time, in the 80s, it was cool. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's, 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 a, it's a really interesting mix of kids movie, family movie, spy thriller, and like almost like a Hitchcock suspense movie to the point that I've actually seen reviews that say, you know, if Hitchcock ever made a Disney movie, it would be Cloak and Dagger. Did critics like this at the time? Um. You know? You know, for PG movies in general, didn't always get the best reviews. I mean, people would just kind of, ah, oh, it's a family movie. It's not trying to break any new ground. But this one, I remember, 
was not really looked down upon. I remember Roger Ebert gave it, you know, a begrudging thumbs up at the time. He said he, he liked the actors involved. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. Okay, so, and now this is where I have to tell my other big story here. I had two stories, the uh, the drive-in one. And the other one is, I will I will paint a picture what a big deal this movie was at the time. In 1985, this is a year after Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and Dagger came out in 84, and then in, in fifth grade, 1985, our last day of school, there was always a thing in our school that the student body could vote on movies to watch the last day of school. That was a thing at Bennett Elementary in Bellevue, Washington, where the student body got to pick. And you'd always, we'd always vote for the two most beloved or most popular movies at the time that you could get on VHS, and we'd rent those, and they'd show one in the gym and one in like the music room. And you could pick which movie to go to. And I will say, on the last day of school, 1985, this is June 1985, our student body voted for The Karate Kid and Cloak and Dagger as the two most beloved movies. And I'll put a little asterisk there saying they could not be R-rated movies, so nothing with Eddie Murphy. <laughs> That's funny that you say that because the movie that I had to watch growing up was Daddy Daycare. So <laughs> I, I like your movies better. Yeah. So yeah, I knew he, So that was the last day of school. Cloak and Dagger and The Karate Kid as the two most beloved movies in 1985. And I am proud to say that like 150 students chose to go watch Karate Kid in the uh, cafeteria that day or like the, the outdoor cafeteria. And there was 12 brave souls that chose Cloak and Dagger over Karate Kid. And I'm proud to say I was one of those kids. I stuck it out for Cloak and Dagger. So I will defend this movie to the death. Oh my gosh. You led a movement. I led a movement. Yeah. I saw the Cloak and Dagger twice before I ever saw the Karate Kid. <laughs> okay, so are you ready to delve into this movie? And and we're gonna we're gonna this is one we're just gonna lay out the entire storyline because I know most of our listeners either have not seen this movie or haven't seen it in many many years. So we're just basically gonna go through it beat by beat. Are you cool with that, Ryan? I'm so cool with that. Let's do it. Okay, and I'm expecting you to give a little San Antonio trivia along the way. Are you okay with that? All right. I'm so okay with that. Okay. Now, do you know, I read this on the Internet Movie Database, why they filmed this in San Antonio? Uh, I believe that's where Henry Thomas was from, right? Correct. Henry Thomas, such a big star, coming right off of E.T. I don't know if this was his next movie, but it was maybe one or two movies right after E.T., was such a big draw that to get him to star in their movie, they actually moved production to his hometown. So it's one of the rare movies you'll ever see filmed in San Antonio. And like Ryan said, it's a love letter to the city. I mean, I would assume that I've never been to San Antonio, but I feel like I have just watching this movie. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And it, the locations are so easy to track, too, because San Antonio is one of those cities where everything is pretty much on top of each other. I mean, the Alamo, it's like pretty much right on top of the Riverwalk. I mean, it's a it's really, really cool. I highly recommend if you're ever in Texas. Well, Texas is gigantic, so. Probably not if you're ever in Texas, but if you're ever in the San Antonio area, you should at least visit it. I mean, it's really nice. Oh, yeah. Don't think I haven't considered that. That's the only reason I'm going to San Antonio. I want to go see the Cloak and Dagger stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay, before we start, um, there's a very interesting tie-in with a video game. This movie had a tie-in with a video game at the time. I'm sure, as a video game expert, you have something to say uh -huh. about this. Well, first off, I know that the Atari 5200 plays a role here. Let me just say that I freaking hate the Atari 5200. It's a. Did you ever have one of those? I never did. We had the 2600, and then we jumped right up to a Commodore 64. Never had okay. the 5200. That's how you do it. Yeah, the 5200, the console is enormous. The controller is enormous. Well, depending on which one you had, there's like a trackball that was terrible. It's just, it's a horrible, horrible, clunky system. And the the game that, the Cloak and Dagger game, that was supposed to be for the 5200, it was never released, I believe. But there was an arcade game called Cloak and Dagger, 
and I've heard that it that never did that well either. It sucked. I will tell you yeah. right now, as a child of the arcade in the 80s, I, I played many video games. I spent many hours in the arcade. I would not play Cloak and Dagger for more than one game. It's It was terrible. Right, and I even asked my dad about that. I was like, so, you know, and he still goes to arcades today. Like, he, he goes to one every couple of weeks or so. And I asked him, it's like, well, did you ever play the Cloak and Dagger arcade game? He's like, oh, heck no. Like, <laughs> no, no, one, no one was playing that. Yeah, so that's it's an interesting backstory with this movie. If I if I recall correctly, there was a movie called Cloak and Dagger. There was a video game called Agent X. I might be getting those mixed up. And they were coming out at the same time, and they decided to cross-brand it, where they just renamed the video game Cloak and Dagger so it would tie in with the movie. So this, right. this whole movie is really a commercial for a video game that flopped in the arcade and never <laughs> came out on the Atari 5200. Yeah, because the game does look cool, but I don't know. It's terrible. There's no point to it. I've never figured out what the point of Cloak and Dagger is, other than yeah. <laughs> to unlock 1,529,000 and get the plans for the secret bomber. Exactly. I think I've had I've never cleared like 5,000 points on Cloak and Dagger, so I've yet to come anywhere close to the secret bomber level. You'll get there someday. It is interesting, though, because there's even a scene in the game store where there's it shows like a bunch of Atari 5200 games, and it says like video game sale. Well, I think it was in 1983, 1984, somewhere around there. There was the big video game crash, and I guess you probably know about this, but like Atari and just all those game companies, they were just dumping their games for next to nothing, and all the stores were too. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until Nintendo came out in 1985, the NES, where it kind of just they saved the video game industry. So it kind of makes sense why you see these, you know, big, you know, game clearance sales in the movie. You see, you see, well, we see that uh, that game never was released. So yeah, it's, it was not a great time for Atari. I always say that I got into arcade games in like 83, 84, and I feel bad because that was like the the crash of the arcade was right around there. Like I missed the glory yeah. days, 81, 82, when Pac-Man was the biggest thing. Right. Okay, so enough video game history. Let's, uh, 25 minutes into the podcast, we will now talk about Cloak and Dagger, the movie. Right. <laughs> okay, so we open with a scene with Dabney Coleman. He's this, uh, this spy named Jack Flack. And it's a scene with him crashing into an embassy and stealing, like, the secret briefcase. It's kind of like a James Bond scene. Um, anything especially memorable about this scene to you? It's just so amazing. I mean, you have that American flag falling on top of a bad guy. There's that great bullet hat ricochet. I mean, there's just so much 80s cheese. One thing that's weird is that there's, like, a close-up of Jack Flack's butt, um, <laughs> which is kind of weird. I mean, and you find out later that they're just playing a board game. So I'm not exactly sure what's going on in Davy's head, but... <laughs> I, I never noticed. You know, I've seen this movie so many times. I have never noticed the gratuitous Dabney Coleman butt shot. Yeah, it's when the flag like zips up into his back or something, and then it just stares at his butt for the next five to ten seconds. <laughs> well, that was part of the role playing culture back then. <laughs> right. Exactly. Dungeon master, so. please describe my character's ass. <laughs> yeah. So, good job, Davy. Okay, so, yeah, Dabney Coleman, this guy Jack Flack, he breaks into the embassy, he steals the briefcase, and at the end of the scene, he's getting chased down the street by these giant uh, polyhedron dice, which is kind of a goofy scene until you realize we, we pull back and it's, oh, this is just a board game. It's Davey playing with his little friend Kim. They're playing a game. I don't. Did you ever catch what the name of the game they're playing is? Uh, Cloak and Dagger? I'm not sure. It could be Cloak and Dagger. Yeah, it, I think it's Cloak and Dagger because there was like a board game and then the video game they played. That so seems, I think it was called Cloak and Dagger. Seems fairly obvious. I probably should have known that. <laughs> okay, so... You, you all right there, Mario? I'm okay. Sorry. I just got kicked in the head by a horse right before the podcast. Okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, so, and there's there's this tagline where Davey's playing this character Jack Flack and he's like, 
I rolled a 24, or Jack has a dexterity of 24, Jack escapes, Jack Flack always escapes, and that's going to be kind of the tagline in this movie, that Davy lives his life through this fantasy character, Jack Flack, and this will be played by Dabney Coleman in kind of a dual role, and it's, yeah, that that's really the heart of the movie here, that Davy kind of lives in his own little universe here. Yeah, and I do want to mention something about the Jack Flack always wins part. I mean, I don't play a lot of role-playing games, but what the heck kind of board game do you have where the one side always wins? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, uh, I'm trying to think of a parallel here, but yeah, it's a there. There was a board game I had in the '70s. Some real nerds may know this know this one. A TSR game called The Awful Green Things from Outer Space, and that was similar to that, wow. where the green things would always win. They were indestructible. But I think in this case, it's just that Henry Thomas is just a far superior player to his uh, Christina Nigra, Nigra, I believe is her name, Kim. Right. Yeah. So it's just it's skill. We do need to talk about Kim at some point because. She might be my favorite character in the whole movie. What? Over Rice? I mean, she's like a 60-year-old woman in a 10-year-old's body. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. All right. Very, very good. We have a couple taglines to put on the top of this podcast. The 60-year-old yeah. woman in the 10-year-old body and see Dabney <laughs> Coleman's ass. Yeah. <laughs> Off to a great start. Okay, so, so Davey and Kim basically have free reign in the city. And this is something when I, I see younger people watch this movie, they're like, where the hell are the parents of these kids? Like, they just take a bus around at all hours. They just randomly go across the city. And does this strike you as odd growing up in a different era where kids would just randomly be going anywhere they want to in the city on a bus? It struck me as very odd. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs of Fort Worth, so I would walk to, like, a nearby gas station or something. But imagining myself walking around by myself or with my sister or my friend alone in, like, downtown, never in a million years would I ever do anything even close to that. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I... I never had a bus pass at that age, but I had, like when I was 10, 11, 12, entire summers where my parents would just, they worked at a law office, so they had a job together. So they'd be up at the office. So I was basically on my own every day in the summer until dinner time. And I was expected to find transportation somewhere, take, keep, keep myself occupied, just whatever. So I'd take swimming lessons, I'd go down to the mall, I'd walk places. So it really wasn't that unusual in the 80s for kids to just kind of be unattended like that. That was just kind of the way it was, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah, us, us millennials, we don't we don't know what's going on. I remember my mom, she bought, we had a freezer in our garage, and she basically bought 100 of those little Totina's party pizzas, Totino's party pizzas. <laughs> and yeah. she basically said, this is your lunch the entire summer, just eat one of those a day for 100 days. That's lovely. <laughs> Good times in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Davey and Kim hang out with this guy, Morris. He uh, He's like the local video game nerd. He runs a, a store. What I know you the name of, you know the name of the store. He runs a store in the mall. What's it called? Oh, it's Kingdom something. I think it's the Gamekeeper. Gamekeeper. I think that's it, yeah. It was a test, and you failed me, Ryan. I did fail. All right. Well, this has been a fun podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. At... <laughs> yes. I'll be bringing back Liana Boris again. She'll be taking over the second <laughs> yeah. half of this podcast. All right, so anyway, yeah, uh, Morris runs the Gamekeeper, this video game store in the mall. And again, it was very common in the mall in the 80s to have a video game store. Just uh, nerds would just congregate there and pick up your D&D games or video games. So this was not unusual. And that Kim and Davey would be hanging out with this guy wouldn't be, I don't think, that unusual for the time. If I knew somebody like Morris, I'd be at his store every day. Yeah, no, I love Morris. Morris just lets these two little kids hang around where he runs his video game store and, you know, he's busy doing business stuff and you know he, you get the sense he kind of gets tired of them hanging around especially Davey Davey's a little much like Davey always thinks he's in a spy mission and he always wants to go out and do role-playing stuff and so one day Morris is like well Davey 
I'll give you a real mission. There's a game company down in downtown San Antonio called Textronics. Why don't you go down there and pick up some catalogs? There's a uh, there's like some secret stuff in their catalogs. And Davey's like, nah, it's boring, Morris. And Morris is like, no, it's better. And again, you get the sense Morris is just humoring him. Morris is like, go to the, the, the vending machine and get me a pack of Twinkies. There's a secret message inside. And this just perks Davey's ears up because it's like a real spy mission. Yeah, and Morris is wanting Twinkies and a large drink. And like, I don't want to spoil what happens later, but I think the terrorist did him a favor with that one. So you think Morris only cut his lifespan short by a couple days? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Morris is a large fellow. He's, he's, again, the prototypical video game nerd in the 80s. He probably does not go outside much. Right. And I do want to mention that Morris is played by William Forsyth, who was in uh, Raising Arizona. I don't know if you've seen that, but yes. he is amazing in Raising Arizona. And he also played uh, John Wayne Gacy in Dear Mr. Gacy. Wow. Which is kind of amazing. Yeah, now I, so, I question Davey hanging out with him. Yeah, so an, another pervert uh, in here. <laughs> I think da- – did Dabney Coleman ever play a pervert? I, I'm guessing he probably did at some point. He, he was a lot did of at villains. Some point, yeah. I think Christina Nigra, I think, is the only one left here. <laughs> yeah, she's salt of the earth, that one. She never played yeah. a pervert. So Davey gets ready for his little spy mission, and Davey's got all these little cute little gadgets. He's got a softball in his backpack that's like, this is my grenade, and he's got a gun, a little plastic gun that he fills with, I believe it's monster blood, so he can shoot the bad guys. And again, it's just Davey clearly not playing with a full deck. He's, he's kind of in his own little spacey world, but he's yeah. ready to do his little spy mission. He's going to do what he's been asked, and he and Kim set off, and they have these little walkie-talkies that they borrow from Morris. And from this point on, Davey's life is going to be a living hell. That's one word for it, yeah. Okay, there's a scene here where, where they go to Textronics. Now, do you know where do they film the uh, Textronics scene? Is that a famous building in San Antonio? Uh, I don't know the name of the building, but it is very recognizable. Um, I did not personally visit. I was, like, across the street from where they did that. Inside, they filmed, like, inside the Textronics building. That was filmed in California, but the outside stuff, that was all in San Antonio. Okay, so I I didn't realize that was not the interior of Textronics that we saw. Right. Yeah, that was somewhere in California. I don't I have no idea where that was. Okay, so Davey goes in with Kim to this Textronics building and and they're uh they go in there and Davey's running around with like his little plastic gun and this is a scene that always makes me laugh because this would be a hard scene to film today. Ryan, I'm sure you would have something interesting to say about this scene. I have something very interesting to say because he runs in this building, he's clearly visible. And the guard is just sitting there, just kind of watching him just run by with his gun in his hand. So all I'm going to say about that is that it's a good thing that Davey's white. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yes. The hard-hitting commentary. Yeah, the, yes. The racial relations in, uh, in Cloak and Dagger tearing America apart. These are the things that I look for, Mario. <laughs> yeah. But it is kind of an amusing scene if you watch it. Davey running around in full view with a gun in an office building where the, the security guard is just like, oh, these kids. It's beautiful. So Davey and Kim, go. Up, they're going to get an elevator to go up to Textronics. And as they're standing there, they're just kind of, you know, in their little spy mission. And Davey's standing next to these two guys who are kind of like big thugs. And they kind of look down at him and Davey looks up at them. And, and all of a sudden, Davey notices that the big thug has a gun in his, in his uh, like a little holster around his vest. And Davey kind of gets spooked and he, he doesn't let Kim get in the elevator. He's like, we're not going to get in the elevator with them. And then Kim's like, why, Davey? You're being embarrassing. And he's like, that man had a gun. And Kim just kind of rolls her eyes, because again, this is the thing with Davey, that why this movie is basically so hellish for him, that he's got this active imagination, nobody takes him seriously, you can tell he has annoyed all those around him for many years. So the minute he pulls out the, oh, that guy's got a gun, I'm sure Kim has heard this a thousand times before. (laughs) Yes, she has. 
So eventually they go up the stairs. They, uh, Kim takes a different elevator up to Textronics, and Davey is walking up the stairs, and you know he's doing his little spy thing, pretending to shoot. And this is where I think Dabney Coleman shows up for the first time as Jack Flack just kind of appears. Mm-hmm. Jack Flack just gives him little spy tips and stuff. So anyway, Davey pulls out his walkie-talkie to talk to Kim, and he hears some static on his walkie-talkie. And this is uh, kind of an interesting thing. Were you familiar with the phenomenon that walkie-talkies and uh, police scanners could pick up cordless phones back in the 80s and 90s? I was not aware of that, no. Yeah, this is something that was really... Wait, wait. What, what, is, a, what is a cordless phone? I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> On a cellular telephone. No, but what happened is when people first started getting cordless phones and stuff or, uh, or other uh, walkie-talkie-like deals... If you had a police scanner or a walkie-talkie, sometimes you would get the signals crossed and you could hear people's conversations. And I would say this was a horrible breach of privacy, and I can't believe it was possible. But at the same time, we had a police scanner in college, so I used to do this all the time. It was a fun, cheap source of entertainment on a Friday or Saturday. You just turn on a police scanner, and you could pick up any cordless phone call within, like, five miles. And you could hear people's calls. Yeah, we do that all the time. I used to... Ah, different story for a different podcast, but I had a roommate who was doing some embarrassing stuff, and we listened to him do his conversations. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, so that was the thing with the walkie-talkie. You could pick up all these wireless conversations back then. So the signals get crossed, and Davey hears these guys talking about, oh, don't let him escape. Kill him. Oh, he's in the stairwell, seventh floor. So Davey's like, huh, what's that? He's hearing actual bad guys talking about killing someone. And this is where I will let you handle this part, where Davey gets to meet uh, the man who's been shot. Okay, yeah, this this man who's been shot, he comes out of the door, he's like limping or something, he's obviously bleeding, and he gives Davey an Atari 5200 cartridge, which they call tapes in the movie, which I did not realize that was a thing that really bugged me, but I'll, I'll forgive him for that. Uh, and again, if I'm ever given an Atari 5200 cartridge, I'm throwing that thing out the window. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not keeping that thing. But Davey holds on to it, and then the guy, I think he gets he gets shot a couple more times. And then he, like, falls over the stairs in the most beautiful way, the most obvious dummy in the world, like a literal dummy in the world. And he falls, what, like five or six stories, and uh, Davey's, like, freaking out, and then he runs away. Ryan's kind of underselling the terror here. This, When you see this movie as a 10-year-old in a theater, this is a very tense scene where this guy who's been murdered comes staggering into the, the stairwell, hands Davey a Atari 5200. And I will say, had you starred in this movie, yeah, it may have been a much shorter movie because Ryan would have immediately wiped his ass with the cartridge and then thrown it out the window. <laughs> but yeah, so Davey all of a sudden is given this, uh, this game cartridge by a, a dying man. The guy says something like 1,329,000. Then all these hitmen burst into the stairwell and start shooting at him. And Davey's like, what the hell? And he starts running away. It's Again, there's... There's kids in very real peril in this movie, which is why Cloak and Dagger kind of stands out to me when you watch it now, that they do not show this kind of thing in movies, like like non-buffoonish, non-cartoony bad guys shooting at a kid and trying to kill him. Yeah. I'm sure that must yeah. have jumped out at you when you first saw it. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing. Like, my dad actually tried to get me to watch Cloak and Dagger for a few years, and every time he tried to get me to watch it, he would say, like, Ryan, I know this looks like a kid's movie, but it's like the real deal. It's like serious, hardcore stuff. And I seriously did not believe him because, I mean, I just I look at the I look at the back of it. I read the description. It's like there's no way like it's a kid's movie. There's the kid from E.T. right on the cover. I mean, there is like a sniper rifle pointed at him, but still <laughs> it's the kid from E.T. Yeah. And it's funny. This is something that just really kind of chaps my hide. And I have to say I was going to save it for the end of the podcast, but I'll say it here. You go to like Rotten Tomatoes and you read reviews of this movie. And it's a lot of modern younger people that maybe just discovered this movie in the last 5, 10, 15 years and are, are recapping it. 
And one thing that you see a lot is, don't let your kids see this movie. And that absolutely infuriates me because of how many kids I knew that grew up on this movie and turned out perfectly fine. Yeah. And that just really bothers me that that's the type of parenting now that, oh, don't let your kids see this movie. They cannot handle a movie where grownups are trying to kill them. And it just bothers me because I'm like, well, why not? I mean, that's the point of the movie here is that Davey lives in a fantasy world. He gets in this real world and he realizes this is scary. I don't want to be in this world. I, I'm not doing fantasy anymore. Like it's there's very real consequences in this movie. And that's just has always bothered me that you get that kind of mentality. Oh, kids can't handle this. Don't show this to your kids. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And even even the message of the movie is just so good with the we'll talk about this more later, but the relationship that Davey has with his dad, who's mm-hmm. also played by Damney Coleman, is really, really good. And it's ridiculous. I mean, kids should be able to watch this. I mean, if you're like, you know, eight or older, you're fine. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, you know, people always say that kids are soft these days, kids are little wet little snowflakes or whatever you hear, but it's like <laughs> it's not the kids, it's the parents. Like, I don't know why parents are such pussies that they think a kid can't handle this movie. And I should add, this was a PG-rated movie that many, many, many kids saw. Our teachers showed it to us in school. Like, it's not that bad. I don't even – it's it's a whole different mentality that I just cannot handle. Yeah. Okay, so Davey escapes his assassination attempt, and uh, he runs out into the hall and says, a man's been killed, a man's been killed. And, like, the security guard comes running, and and they can't find the body. And, again, this is just the the paranoia part of this movie where – Davy knows he's telling the truth and no one believes him. No one can back up his story. And there's only this one sinister, uh, like a uh, uh, guy that works at Textronics, Dr. Rice. And he's in there and it's played by Michael Murphy. Just this really scummy, creepy villain in this movie. I love this guy. And he's like, I didn't see a body. I didn't see anything. And then he like gives Davy a little look and Davy's like, uh-oh. And at the end of the scene, you see uh, Dr. Rice picks up a softball. Davy has dropped his softball. And it says right there his name on it, David G. Osborne. And really from this point on, it's, killers trying to get Davy. And that's what I love about this movie. Like so much, just the vast majority of it. It's just Davy running away from people who are just trying to brutally murder him, murder him and torture him. That's the other thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. They don't mess around this. And again, I cannot reiterate enough. This isn't just like cartoony Disney villains. These are guys that are not stupid. These are trained killers. Like they want to murder him. Yeah. I have the quote about the kneecaps written down. I'll, I'll be sure to say it when we get that, get to that point. Oh yeah. There's no way that's not going to be the stinger at the end of the episode. The kneecap oh, yeah. quote has to go on there. Oh yeah. Okay. So we get home to Davy's house and, uh, this is where the cops call his dad again, his dad also played by Dabney Coleman and his dad is, this is actually a, a surprisingly touching scene. And I kind of forgot how, how touching this scene is where Davy comes home. The cops have said, you know, your son caused a panic in an office building today. And his dad clearly is on his last nerve with Davy. Davy's done this before. Like, I'm sure this is what the 10th or 12th time the cops have been called to his house over the years, probably. Oh, yeah. Right. And so his dad is a Colonel Osborne. He's in the Air Force and he's just kind of a no nonsense guy. And again, a perfect role for Dabney Coleman. I can't keep saying that enough that he was just absolutely perfect for roles like this. And that's we get a really nice scene where the dad is trying to understand Davy. Why do you do these things? Why do you play these games? And Davy doesn't understand his dad. His dad doesn't understand him. And they talk about how the mom has just died and they're both adjusting to it. And it's a very touching scene that I kind of forgot this scene was in here. Yeah. And I even put that down in my notes too. I mean, it's a really, really good scene. I mean, they do a really great job with that. And again, these were two of the most respected actors of their, their era. So it would make sense that this movie works because you care about them. And this scene in particular and I will say I don't I want to don't want to bring down the mood of this podcast too much, but but I will say that watching this movie is a little sad for me. This scene right here because it's very similar to kind of a relationship I had with my dad that I was again just like Davy D and D dork, just 
video games, all sorts of weird stuff. My dad did not understand that whatsoever. He was like a big football player, lawyer, like he didn't do fantasy stuff. So I grew up in a very similar relationship where I just didn't click with my dad ever. We never, it's not that we didn't get along. We just had nothing in common. There's nothing we could talk about really about stuff. So watching the scenes kind of sad to me that that's, this is very similar to kind of what it was like for me being a, a fantasy board game kid and just kind of your, your parents not understanding it. And it's, and I've read people that say they don't like Dabney Coleman in the scene because he's kind of mean to Davey, but he's not mean. He just doesn't get him. And that's the thing. It's it's got to be tough for parents, too, when they don't understand their kids. And again, it's this scene could not be more autobiographical when I watch it. Yeah, the same for me, too. I mean, the, the roles are reversed, though. I have to tell my dad that he needs to be the one to, to stop playing so many games. But <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree. So, uh, yeah. So basically, the dad takes away all his board games, said you live in this weird world. I don't get it. Like. Davy, true heroes don't, you know, they're not superheroes, they're not spies, true heroes go out there and they put dinner on the table, they do boring things, Davy. like, you, the world is more mundane than you think it is, like, there's heroes out there, you don't have to be the spy, and it's, this actually comes back later, there's a nice payoff to it at the end, but this is a very emotional scene, and it's really going to be the only one like this in the movie, because it's going to be really all action from here on out. Yeah, and I do want to point out, the contrast between uh, Flack and the dad like, there really is a contrast there. I mean, you, you it's almost like you're watching two different actors. I mean, Dabney Coleman does a really, really great job with that. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. He's in, I was watching for it. There's a couple scenes where he's, they, they superimpose where he's in the shot twice in the movie. But they do a good job. I don't know if you noticed. They give him, like, a totally different mustache. He totally has a different look when he's Jack Flack yeah. or, or Colonel Osborne. So it's really one of these neat dual roles that I don't think really got enough respect at the time. But I think he did a really good job in this. Yeah, and the dad has more of a southern accent. Like mm -hmm. there's there's two different roles for sure. Although I will say, for years I was not sure if if the spy's name was Jack Black or Jack Flack. <laughs> because there's one scene right here where the dad says Jack Black, and it always threw me off when I was a kid. I think that was just that's, Dabney that's Dabney mispronouncing it. Uh, I think uh, Dabney Coleman is a tenacious D fan, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. So, so Jack Black was what about ten right then? He was a big Jack Black, <laughs> so he was a pervert too then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so basically, the dad goes to work the next day. He asks, he's on the Air Force Base. They're having a big inspection. He has to leave, and uh, and Davey's like, don't leave me, Dad. The minute you leave, the spies are going to come kill me. And he's like, Davey, there's no spies. Like, I, when do I have – how many times do I have to tell you this? There's no spies out there. So the dad leaves, and guess what? The spies show up. Gotta love that trope. <laughs> there's a really chilling scene here where – it's uh, right before they come where Davy picks up the phone, the phone rings, and this other, this ominous voice on the other side says, is this David G. Osborne? Good. <laughs> I love that. It's probably my favorite quote in the movie other than the, the aforementioned kneecaps one. I heard that was John Wayne Gacy on the other end of the phone there. <laughs> that, was, that was Morris. Yeah. <laughs> Morris was, uh, he was doing the method acting. He was going to his Gacy impression. Okay, so... Yeah, the next day, Davy's home all alone, and the spies come, and they knock on the door, and it's a really ominous scene where, you know, Davy knows there's these trained killers out to get him, and he sees the knock at the door, and he kind of goes to peer out the window to see who's there. And again, I have to reiterate, in the 80s, it was not odd for kids to be home alone. That was, I spent entire summers alone, so that that's kind of how it goes sometimes. But yeah, and then they all break into the house and come after him, and it's a very tense scene. These two guys, do you know the guy with the mustache, what his name was? I know one of them is Alvarez. Do you remember the other guy? I don't know his name. I do know that he was an NFL football player. Yeah, I, I, I remember that too, but I don't remember what his name was or what team he played for. But he's this big, scary dude coming to kill Davey. Uh, Tim Rosovich. Okay, what, what's That's his history? 
Uh, I believe he played college football at the at USC. I think he played for the Eagles, Chargers, and Oilers. All right, there you go. A little Tim Rosovich trivia for you uh, staff pick fans. Yeah, knew that off the top of my head. <laughs> okay, so Davey is being chased by these bad guys. He's got this video game cartridge. He doesn't know what's important about it. All he knows is that it's important. Someone's given it to him. So his first instinct is to go to his a pervert slash uh, video game buddy, Morris, and he's going to say, what's in this tape? So that's, this is a good move by Davey here. Yeah, it is. And again, Morris is so amazing. <laughs> now, so amazing how? Please elaborate. I, I've never heard Morris described as so amazing before. I mean, I just I have to mentally prepare myself for what's about to happen. So I, I have to say he's amazing because Morris, in the second half of the movie, he's not treated that well, I don't think. <laughs> so I have to give him the credit he deserves. Yeah, so Morris, again, a nice guy. He's trying to help Davey out. He unscrews this cloak and dagger tape, as we called them, as you kids wouldn't call them. Oh, and I do love that when Davey's uh, walking to the mall, he's talking to himself really out loud, like out loud, really loudly. Um, like he's talking to Flack, mm -hmm. and everyone at the mall is staring at him as he's walking by. I just, I love that. Like I didn't even realize that the first time I watched the movie, but I noticed that today. Yeah, it's a neat uh, shot. He's walking with Dabney Coleman, and then all of a sudden Dabney Coleman just disappears, and Davey's talking to himself. The what, kid's nuts. What mall was that filmed in, Mr. Delta Bravo? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, come on. You have you failed know, me, Torgo. I really have. Um, I want to say the mall is torn down because I've never been there. <laughs> well, so, that's an easy answer. It's the it's the torn down mall off of uh, <laughs> off the Alamo. That's in Canada. You'll never find it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, Davey gives the cartridge to Morris and leaves it there, and then uh, this is where this is where S is about to get real here. Davey calls his walkie-talkie over to Kim, and she's like, "Well, I'm at your house." And Davey's like, "No, don't go to my house. There's kidnappers there." And all of a sudden, the kidnappers appear on the walkie-talkie and say, hey, kid, guess like looks like we have something you want. You want to do a little trade? And again, it's going to start to get real ominous here because now not only is Davy's life in danger, but Kim's as well, the 60-year-old woman in the 10-year-old's body. Yes. And we get our first threat of the movie. If you tell anyone about this, we'll break your little friend in half. Yes. Children constantly being threatened with violence in this movie. <laughs> yes. Okay, so... Davey is supposed to meet them at a, uh, I would presume, a famous San Antonio landmark, the uh, Sunken Gardens. Is that a very well-known place? It is. Um, I, I did not know about I mean, I'm sure San Antonians know, know about it, but uh, I've never been before. I knew about Cloak and Dagger. But, yeah, it's a really, really nice place. Uh, some people call it the Japanese Tea Gardens. Some people call it the Japanese Sunken Gardens. But, yeah, it's, it's kind of just this small little area with, like, a couple of lakes. There's a few koi ponds. It's it's a really it's a really sweet area. It's not sweet, but it's a really nice area. It's a it's a charming little place if you'd like to drop a little girl off a cliff. Exactly. Okay, so Davy is supposed to go to the Japanese gardens and exchange basically the cloak and dagger tape for Kim's life. And rather than give them the actual cloak and dagger tape, Jack Flack persuades him to steal a cloak and dagger 5200 cartridge from the store from Morris's store and uh uh, are you cool with this? Do you, are, uh, is Jack Flack lose a little prestige in your eyes when he's a, a shoplifter? Uh, well, Davey says, I couldn't take that. Well, I don't, I'm don't. i convinced that Davey's not worried about stealing. He just doesn't want that Atari 5200 game. <laughs> so if this was like ColecoVision, he's all over it. Yes, exactly, ColecoVision. And what do you think about, there's a scene here where Jack Flack says, take it. He picks up this bootleg 5200 cartridge and tosses it to, to, to Davey. Since when is a ghost, an imaginary figure, being able to pick <laughs> yeah. things up? I'm curious about that. I did not think about that. That's a really good point. Yeah. There's several times in this movie where Jack Flack is picking things up and handing them to Davey, which 
again, you can you can uh, uh, what's the word here? You can rationalize by saying that well, that that's just Davy doing it, but in his mind, someone's handing it to him. I guess it would be the way to yeah. describe it. I don't know. It's, that one's a weird one. So Davy goes to the sunken gardens, and again, these kids have bus passes. They can go anywhere in the town at any time, all by themselves. And so Davy goes to the sunken garden, and you get this really tense scene where Rice, the really scummy villain, is there, and he meets Davy on a path, and basically uh, Davy threatens to throw the cloak and dagger tape into the water. The bad guys threaten to drop Kim off a cliff, which is a nice scene. <laughs> and then basically, so eventually they let Kim go. Davy puts down the bootleg cartridge, and then Rice grabs him, trying to kill him. They're going to kill Davy, and Davy pulls out his gun and squirts him in the face with ink, which that was a that got a good. Uh, laugh in the theater at the time although i will say this is a this is a especially tense scene and there's ones that are going to be even more tense later yeah it's it's a very tense scene i will say though that davy not the smartest guy in the scene he just sucks here all around he waited until he was at the park to open the package not sure what that was about Mm -hmm. and then he left the sticker showing that it was a fake cartridge on the cartridge yes so that's not the smartest guy that davy that's probably why et wanted nothing to do with him why he wanted to go home yeah. Like, this kid's a moron. Exactly. Keeps talking to himself. <laughs> All I will say, there's a. Uh, this is one of the flaws I've always noticed in this movie. Again, this is this movie's 34 years old, and this has stuck with me over the years. There's a sticker on the back of the cartridge, yet the box was unopened. How the hell yeah. did that sticker get on the cartridge? There's no way it came prepackaged with that sticker in there. Yeah. There's. This whole scene should have just been a deleted scene. <laughs> I'm thinking about turning off this podcast right now. <laughs> Cloak and Dagger is the most overrated movie I've ever seen. Yeah, no turning. You can't do a heel turn on Cloak <laughs> yeah. and Dagger here. We're the heroes. We're This is an underrated movie. We're right. building it up. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll try. I'll try. So Davey runs away, and he runs down these stairs with Kim. I, where are those stairs? Is That that must be part of the river walk, I would assume, those iconic stairs that show up twice in the movie. Are, are you talking about after they're on the bus ride, or they're just, well, when just they're running right out here. of the tea just, gardens? I think I, it may pop up later. I guess we'll come back to this. But where are those yeah. stairs? Is that, that's part of the river walk? Uh. Well, there are some stairs that he runs down eventually, but the stairs that they run away from the tea gardens, those tea gardens, that's about 10 minutes from downtown. Okay. So they do have to take a bus a little bit to get there. Um, I think it's right across. It's actually right across the street from the San Antonio Zoo, fun fact. But uh, yeah, they they do run down, and they do run down these stairs, which are outside the gardens, and they get into a bus. And this has always dri- driven me crazy, too, because they sit at the back of the bus while they're being chased by a car <laughs> uh, with two guys that are shooting at them. So their their brains could like splatter all over the seat here, which is I'm sure what they were wanting to do. Yeah, that would have been PG-13 if we had the headshot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so Davy is on the run now. He and Kim are fleeing, and the two hitmen are after them all through downtown San Antonio. We're about to have a fun scene at the Riverwalk, and now that Rice has the uh, video game with the sticker on the back, he knows where it came from. So he shows up to this place called the Gamekeeper, and he sees Morris. And this is, of course, exactly the same moment when Morris cracks the code and sees the plans. And there's, like, this plans for an invisible bomber on the cartridge, like this big Soviet thing. And Morris is like, wow. And right then, Rice walks in, and in a wonderful scene in a PG movie, pulls out an Uzi and blasts Morris away right there. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Poor Morris. I'm I'm convinced that he was just aiming for the Atari 5200s, and Morris was just in the way, but... (laughs) I don't know. That's that's debatable, I guess. Yeah, Morris is, was rather large. He got in the way. He blocked the 5200. <laughs> the meat shield. Morris the meat shield. That's what they exactly. call it. Exactly. Too many Twinkies. <laughs> okay, so Morris has been murdered by Rice, and basically Davy and Kim are the only two left that have know anything about this cartridge, and they're about to be silenced. The killers are out after them. And this is where 
a very famous scene about 45 minutes into the movie. This is where my mom chose to arrive at the drive-in where we first got to see this movie. Where Davey is trying to blend in with the crowd. He's down on the famous San Antonio Riverwalk. He's weaving in and out of tables. And he decides he'll go where the most people are. And that's the, there's the boat ride, this famous boat ride down the canal. And so Davey gets on a boat, and the hitmen follow him on a boat. And this is kind of a, the one of the signature scenes in the movie where they're trying to kill stat. They're trying to get close to Davey on the boat so they can stab him. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I do want to mention though, uh, before he gets on the boat, he go he hides under under an umbrella. And I actually know something about this. Uh, he was hiding uh, at a restaurant called Casa Rio in San Antonio along the San Antonio River there. And Casa Rio, I've eaten there a couple times. It's very good. This was actually the first business along the river. So there's your San Antonio fun fact. I might not know anything about uh, the mall or whatever it was you were talking about, but I do know Casa Rio. Do you even listen when I talk, Ryan? Um, I don't think so, no. <laughs> okay. Have you have you actually taken the uh, San Antonio boat cruise yourself? I'm curious. I have. I don't know if I'd call it a cruise, but it, it's it's lovely, yes. Do you, do you remember how much it cost? Because I will say I paid attention in the movie how much it cost in 1983, a uh, boat ride was a dollar twenty-five for kids. It was fifty cent. <laughs> a little more than fifty cent, I'm thinking. So yeah, so Davy escapes in this really tense scene where they're trying to stab him on the river walk, and uh, this is where, uh, let's see, Davy goes back to the mall again. He doesn't know where to turn. He goes to the mall, and this is where he and Kim find more. Not so much Morris is dead as it as it is they find a. Morris's computer screen has a hole in it, and there's bits of Morris's brain splattered around the room. <laughs> but not so much. They don't know he's dead. It just appears he may be. Yeah, just, just maybe. Some, some Morris intestine around the area. It's fine. Okay, so Rice has the tape, and at some point in the movie, I kind of forgot when it happened, Davey has overheard that Rice is supposed to give this tape to somebody at 5.30 tonight. Do you remember when that happens? Uh, no, I do not. All I know is that about the airport at midnight. I don't remember the 5.30 part. <laughs> okay. I'll probably jump the gun a little yeah, bit there. 5.30. So, so Davey decides, well, Rice is going to give this tape to somebody at 5.30, and he knows it's important, and Davey's going to stick his nose in probably. At this point, Davey probably should just leave well enough alone and go home. But he decides he's going to be Mr. Nosy McNoserson here. And so he goes to uh, Textronics, and he, he hides in Rice's trunk. Jack Flack kind of helps him along. And Davey goes to Textronics, hides in Rice's car. He's like, well, this guy's taking the tape to someone at 5.30 tonight. i got to see where it is and who it is. And who is he in there with? <laughs> yeah, who is he in there? Why don't you help us relieve the suspense? Who is yeah. Davey in the trunk with? He's in there with Morris's cold, dead corpse. <laughs> yes. Morris, for the last 40 minutes of this movie, will just be a corpse in a trunk. <laughs> and, and Davey asks, like, how could they do that to him? And uh, Flack says, I guess he just wasn't good enough. Just in case Morris wasn't dehumanized enough, Flack <laughs> goes ahead and says something like that. Jack, uh, Jack Flack's whole advice in this whole second half of the movie is just to kill people. <laughs> and, if you, and if you die yourself, that's your own fault. So Morris was a large, overweight, antisocial man who was killed minutes before he would have died of a heart attack anyway. And then he spends the rest of the movie as a corpse in a trunk where an imaginary figure trash talks him. Just wasn't good enough. Sorry, Morris. Oh, wow. I, I hope uh, Forsyth isn't listening to this. I'm sorry. Yeah. Although I, I have neglected to mention that there's one famous, two famous characters in this movie I have not mentioned yet. The old couple on the boat. We skipped over them. Are they famous? Well, they're famous because they become the major villains in the movie, Ryan. Uh, right. Yes. Okay. Just making sure you know that. I might have missed that part. When he's on the boat... Davy is kind of saved when the when the bad guys are trying to stab him on the river walk. This nice old couple kind of pulls him aside and 
asks him what's going on, and Davy's like, well, that man's trying to kill me. And they're really nice, and they're about to come back, and they're going to be a little more sinister in the next couple of minutes here. Yeah. And they're complaining about their dinner reservations uh, all the while. <laughs> okay, so so it's 5.30, Davy's in Rice's car, they go to wherever he's supposed to drop off this cloak and dagger tape, and he ends up going to... Do you remember where they go, Ryan? I'm going to set you up as a Texan. Okay, um, they go to the Alamo? Very good, I'm glad you remember. Oh my that. gosh. Well done. That was when they were fighting against the French, I think? Yes, the French were battling right outside and the Indians <laughs> as they were there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Alamo happened in 1983. Yes, it did. <laughs> okay, yeah, so they go to the Alamo. Davey gets out of the car, and he sees Rice is there, and Rice is supposed to uh, drop off this cloak and dagger tape to these spies or someone famous, and basically Davey's overheard, well, I don't know who these spies are, who these ringleaders are, but apparently one of them's missing two fingers from their hand. And it's like, ew, kind of creepy. So Davey's in the Alamo trying to intercept the drop, and as he's there, voila, he runs into the same nice, old, kindly, elderly people he ran into on the boat, who I, I know where you're going to go, but I do not think they're perverts. I think they genuinely do care <laughs> about him. Okay, fair enough, fair okay. enough. So they pull Davy aside, and Davy's like, you have to help me. That man over there has a cloak and dagger, or forget what he says. But basically, Davy tries to rope these old people into helping him out, trying to get the drop so so Rice can't drop off the cloak and dagger tape. And Davy grabs the bag, security stops him, and then the nice old people are like, well, that's, that's my grandson. He was just trying to retrieve my camera case. So... Basically, the nice old people sort it all out, and they get the the right bag, and they take Davy in their car, and they're like, you know, I just I risked my good camera for you, boy. Like, why don't you tell him what, what all this is about? And Davy's like, well, there's this spy, and, and there's these plans for a, 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 some kind of military thing on a cloak and dagger tape, and there was a man here with missing some fingers who was supposed to get the drop, and I basically had to stop him, and... So the old couple's like, oh, that's nice. Why don't you uh, look inside that bag? We have your cloak and dagger tape. And so Davy opens the bag. He sees the cloak and dagger tape. He's like, you got it. That's so cool. And then Mrs. Uh, the grandma there pulls off her glove to reveal this really creepy visual of her only having three fingers, which for most people who have grew up with this movie, that's kind of an iconic image. You remember that, that jaw-dropping moment of the woman with the three fingers. Yeah, and I'm wondering, like, did, did she actually only have three fingers? Because it looks pretty realistic. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe some cloak and dagger experts or some three-finger experts can uh, write in about yeah. that. I don't know. I'm not sure if she really did. I'm assuming that was an insert shot from somebody else, but maybe it, yeah. maybe she had three fingers. Maybe she that's was. A, that's yeah. a good point. <laughs> I do want to mention one more thing about the Alamo before we move on. Uh, I love how Davy just kind of casually just walks on the grass just into the Alamo. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't walk on the grass in San Antonio. I mean, the there's nowadays, there's, I guess this is how it was in the 80s, I think. Pee-wee did this too, but uh, you have like a fence all around the – or not the fence, but a rope all around the grass. There's a huge line that wraps around the building. I mean it's a tourist attraction, so you can't just casually walk into the Alamo. Well, remember Davey was earlier allowed to run through an office complex with a gun, so maybe it's oh, a, is, a white privilege that he was allowed? That is true. It is white privilege, yeah. <laughs> so so Davey has been kidnapped by the elderly people, the spies, the ringleaders. These are the people that are – that have basically trying to sell out our country by selling these plans to the Soviets or something. And I love this scene because it's basically a Scooby-Doo scene where they're going to chloroform Davy and they want to knock him out. But first they're going to explain their grand plan just so he's aware of it. Yeah. They're like, well, we're going to kill you. But first, you know, we're going to fly out of the airport on flight 1364 to Mexico at midnight tonight. And bus route 23 goes right there and you can take that. But now we're going to chloroform you. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of bad guys talking and, uh, right in front of Davy's face in this movie. 
Okay, so now we get to the hard. We're about to get to the hardcore stuff that people remember this movie being so harsh here. So Davy has been chloroformed. He wakes up in the trunk again next to Morris. Morris's dead, bloated corpse makes another cameo. Yes, it does. And so, yeah, the killers don't know that Davy's up, and they're basically explaining their plan again. We got more Scooby-Doo here where, you know, we're going to take him out. We don't want to kill him yet. Let's wait till he wakes up, and then we'll drive him out to the desert and kill him. And so Davy hears all this, and uh, and so while the killers are, uh, you know, frittering around waiting for him to wake up, he somehow sneaks from the trunk of the car, of Rice's car, into the front and drives off. And this is a, a kind of an amusing scene where where Davy is driving a car while simultaneously being too short to see over the windshield. <laughs> right. Now, do you still have this problem since you're, what, still 14? I forgot what you said. Uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> uh, I finally got my permit, so, you know, eventually it'll, I'll be able to do this legally. So, uh, Davy, it's funny, like you said... Uh, Davy's big plan is to go rescue Kim and go warn everyone that these spies are trying to leave the airport. And meanwhile, Flack is in the back saying, no, let's kill people. Let's get some weapons and waste these guys. And that's that will be Jack Flack's advice the entire rest of the movie. Find some hardware and kill some people. Yeah. And I do love how when they cut back to Kim, she's just in her kitchen coloring. <laughs> I like to see that the death of Morris hasn't really affected her. <laughs> We all express our grief in different ways, Ryan. Coloring okay. is how some of us choose to do it. All right. It. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, unfortunately, when my dad passed away a couple of years ago, man, I colored like a motherfucker. <laughs> the darkness of staff picks raising its ugly head once again. Let's go back to lighter topics like crushing Kim with a garage door. Yeah, so Rice, the bad guys have a plan here. Now that they have the cloak and dagger tape, now that they've sold it to the, the highest bidder, they've done everything they're supposed to, they need to murder the kids. So they're going to shoot Davy in the desert, and they've planted a bomb on Kim. They're, first they're going to joke about crushing her with a garage door, and then they they uh, they planted a uh, some plastic and her walkie-talkie. So at exactly midnight tonight, which is the exact same time the bad guy's plane takes off to Mexico, Kim is going to be blown sky high. Sorry, Kim. Some more Kim brains for the mom to clean up, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Davey's driving away from the bad guys, and uh, he's trying to go rescue Kim and get this bomb off her. He knows all this, all the hell is going to break loose tonight. And uh, let's see, what happens here? I'm trying to get to the river walk scene. So Davey runs out to a phone booth to try to call Kim, and he's standing there, and, and Davey is, like, petrified at this point that he's way over his head. All these guys are trying to kill him. And Jack Flack is over his shoulder saying, this is awesome. This is like great. It's finally starting to get good. And Davey's like, what the hell are you talking about? This isn't fun. This isn't fun. I'm trying to be killed. There's even a scene when Jack's telling Davey to kill people. Like he's sipping a cup of Joe. <laughs> yeah. Like what in the world? Yeah. So Davey, the, one of the hitmen tries to kill Davey by driving a van into his phone booth. And Davey, uh, Davey gets out of the way and the guy goes crashing through a windshield and dies. Again, PG family movie, I should say here. A very violent death this guy uh, suffers. And Jack Flack is like, He's dead. Take his gun. And Davy's like, I don't want his gun. And Jack Flack's all angry. He's like, play right, Davy. You're not playing spies. Get his gun and kill the rest of them. And so this is how it will lead to a, uh, a a struggle for ethics here between Davy and Jack Flack the next 20 minutes here. It's groundbreaking stuff, got to say. Okay, so we're in the, the grand denouement of the movie here where Davy is still fleeing from the hitmen. There's one hit, or two hitmen left after him, Rice and Alvarez. And Davy calls his dad at the Air Force Base. His dad, there's... You gotta believe me. There's a flight out of, of uh, the airport at midnight tonight. Kim's got a bomb on her. There's terrorists. There's spies. And Dad's like, "What?" Like the dad still doesn't believe him. Dad, Davy's just like, "Just go to the airport. I need you there. We need a grown up." And now we get to the final scene where 
Davy is cornered down on the river walk by Rice and Alvarez. Very, very famous, infamous scene that, like in the 80s, I remember when I first saw this movie, this is like, whoa, this is a heavy scene. And I can't imagine people watching it now seeing this in like a little PG Disney movie, seeing this scene right here. Yeah. This might be the scene where if you do show this to parents, they might have to say, okay, yeah, I don't, I don't know about this one. But it is pretty badass. I mean, there's some cool oh, weaponry. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, still worth it. Okay, so we get down to the river walk. Davey's there. He's trying to run to the airport, basically. He can't make it to the airport, and he doesn't have any transportation, doesn't have a bus pass, so he's trying to run there. He gets down to the river walk, and it's all creepy and deserted at night, and he's basically cornered by these two hitmen, Alvarez and Rice, and uh, Jack Flack keeps telling him, Davey, you're going to have to kill them. You know you're going to have to get your hands dirty. And Davey just doesn't want to do it. He wants no part of killing anybody. But at a certain point, uh, yeah, the bad guys pull out like this huge Uzi with a silencer. Like, they have some serious firepower here. They're just going to blow this kid away. And Davey, uh, with the help of Jack Flack, ends up uh, getting a gun. Basically, he does something called the uh, the crossfire gambit, which is something any kid in the 80s knew this, Ryan, the crossfire gambit. Okay, all right. Yeah, that's where you get one hitman to fire at you and then run away and then run next to the other hitman, and the first hitman shoots the second one in the back. That's a very classic 80s self-defense move. So, like, you're running away Prometheus style, where you just dart off uh, in the opposite direction instead of just darting off to the side? Exactly. Yeah, it's all strategy. Any kid in the 80s knew the crossfire gambit. Right. Luckily, the guy's aim is worse than a stormtrooper. (laughs) Yeah. So, Rice ends up killing Alvarez, and Davey leans down and picks up Alvarez's gun. And this is the first time Davey's ever really been involved in a murder or a killing or anything, and he's just horrified. And Jack Flack's like, take his gun, take his gun. And so... Davy leans down and picks up Alvarez's gun, and then Davy runs down the city walk or runs down the uh, the river walk to a wall, and uh, there's a dead end. And this is where we get the infamous showdown that we have joked about several times already in this podcast. I will I will give you the honors since this one's so pleasant. All right, I'm ready. So, what's his name? The bad guy? Rice. Rice. Oh yeah. So Rice goes up to Davy and he tells him, with a gun in his hand, I could turn you into shredded meat in about three seconds with this baby if I wanted to. But you've been a real pain in the neck, so I'm not going to be that nice. You know what I'm going to do to you, boy? I'm going to blow both your kneecaps off. It won't kill you, but it'll hurt worse than any dying you can imagine. Then you know what I'm going to do to you, huh? I'm going to shoot you in the stomach. Then when you beg for me to finish the job, I won't do it. I'm just going to watch you die, slowly. Yep. And as most people know, that is a monologue that's uh, commonly performed in children's theater in auditions. (laughs) Yes, where the bad guy threatens to blow Henry Thomas's kneecaps off, turn him into hamburger, and then shoot him in the stomach so he will die slowly in pain. Stuff you see in E.T., you yeah. know. And again, my, our teachers let us watch this in school, I have to point out. <laughs> oh, man. Now, when you are a teacher, are you going to show this movie to your students? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I'm actually, I'm actually teaching Texas history right now, so when we go through our uh, cloak and dagger unit, I'll, I'll be sure to... I'll be sure to show the scene. Okay, the Pee-wee's Big Adventure unit, then the Cloak and Dagger unit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Rice is going to basically just turn Davy into hamburger with this Uzi, and Davy's pointing a gun at him. He's like, don't come near me. I don't want to shoot you. And Rice, of course, having been squirted in the face with a squirt gun earlier in the movie, says, yeah, you're gonna, that's a real gun, sure. And so this is, I will say, in uh, I'm a big fan of Jack Flack in this movie. I think he has the best of intentions. He pulls a real dick move here. <laughs> where he basically <laughs> tricks Davy into shooting Rice. Are we sure this guy's a hero? He is Are a we hero. Sure? Well, I mean, okay. in his defense, Davy probably would have been shot right here. He may have been killed, so maybe Jack is saving his life. But basically, Jack kind of materializes against a wall, 
and he says, uh, come on, shoot me, Rice. Yeah, get me. And, like, Rice all of a sudden gets kind of confused. Like, who's this weird guy off to the left that's telling me that's with Davy? So Rice goes and starts shooting Jack Flack, and Davy, horrified that his friend is being killed, pulls up his gun, shoots Rice, kills the bad guy, and saves the day. And with that, all the bad guys are dead, other than the old people on the plane. But Davy is pissed because Jack Flack has just tricked him into killing somebody. Yeah, it's a, it's a very touching scene. Well, it actually is. I mean, it's, that part is, it's it's kind of horrific. And again, this was, this again, this was a hard-hitting movie in the 80s, and 80s kids yeah. can handle it. It's like, whoa, like this is, this was a grown-up movie disguised as a kid's movie. And then this scene happens, and then Jack Flack, you know, he survives. Jack Flack always survives, and then Davey's all mad. You tricked me. That wasn't fair. And Jack's like, well, I had to do what I had to do. And Davey pulls out his little action figures, little Jack Flack, and he's like, I don't want to play anymore. I don't like this game. I don't like you. And he throws it down and steps on it. And really, what happens is Jack Flack starts dying. You see all of a sudden he, the bullet holes that he that he thought just went through him end up being real. He starts bleeding, and Jack Flack dies, and he, he sits down and starts moaning. And it's, I will say, it's actually a fairly touching scene here. I'd kind of forgotten how powerful this scene is. Oh, it, it absolutely is, yeah. Yeah, you forget that. You don't realize there's some emotion in this movie. And there's a line, like, once, you know, Flack starts to disappear, and Davey says, I can't do this on my own. And you hear uh, Flack's voice saying, yes, you can. You were always on your own. Yeah. And every single time I watch that movie, I get goosebumps, and every, maybe once or twice, I tear up a little bit. I mean, that stuffs it's really, really powerful, and just it's all because of the dialogue and these, their performances that uh, Coleman and – who was it? Henry Thomas. Mm-hmm. That It's all because of their performances, and it's really, really good. I think you mentioned that you were crying in what? Quick, quick and the Dead? <laughs> No, no, nobody was, no I, I will not admit that. I never said that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I, well, I I'm crying during this, okay? It's good stuff. Yeah, this this scene does kind of make me tear up a little, and there's a little, even a line that I'd kind of forgotten where Jack says, why does that always happen? The kids always don't want to play anymore. They stop believing, and they grow up, and it's not fair. And, and then Davey's like, no, don't leave me. And Jack's like, you know, your father was the same way. Like, he believed once, too, and then he stopped believing to, to, impl- to imply that Jack Flack maybe used to play with, with his dad, Colonel Osborne, many years ago, which is kind of a touching little thought if you think, think about that. Yeah, it is. He was playing with himself. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That'll get you kicked out of the Air Force. That's terrible. Right. Okay, so Davey is now basically on his own. Jack Flack fades away and dies, and Davey's got to get to the airport, stop the bad guys from taking off, get rid of the old people, stop the bomb. You know, no problem. And then he uh, he needs to get a, a way to get to the airport. He runs down, like, into the, the red light district of town. I don't know. Would that be near the Alamo, where the seedy place with all the prostitutes hang out, where Davey ends up all of a sudden? Yeah, this middle-class white kid sure knows a lot about that area. <laughs> Although, did you catch who one of the cab drivers is that he ta- he asked for help? I did not, know. You may not know him. Do you know Louis Anderson, the comedian? I've heard the name. Yeah, big, I will say a large, large mammal, large fellow. He was a not, not as big as Morris. But... He's bigger than Morris. If you ever saw him, oh my speak, gosh. Uh, Louis Anderson. He was a host of the the Family Feud for a while. Just a really famous '80s comedian, and he shows up randomly here as a cab driver, which is which is hilarious. Wow. And I, for Louis Anderson fans, I have to do. This is one of my favorite impressions. This is Louis Anderson hosting the Family Feud. Services. <laughs> okay, so so Davey gets a cab to the airport. He rushes in. And uh, he spots the old people trying to board their plane, and he, he pulls this uh, stunt where he says, Mom, Dad, don't leave me. And the security guards go, is this your son? And they're like, we've never seen this boy in our life. They're, again, they're trying to escape the, the country in a plane. Davey's like, I can prove, that, prove they're, my, they're my parents. Look in their bag. They have my one of my video games, my cloak and dagger. 
So Davy has basically outsmarted them, and they retaliate by stealing a cop's gun and shooting some guy in the groin. And basically, it becomes a hostage situation. The old people are now trapped. They have Davy. Davy somehow got his hands on Kim's walkie-talkies. Davy's got the bomb, and they're all the four or the, the three of them go out to the plane. It's now a hostage situation where they have Davy, and they're demanding a pilot, someone fly us to Mexico. And uh, this is where Davy's dad gets his moment of heroism. Yes, he does. It's beautiful. Yeah, and we do have a couple more threats in here. We have, you know, one more minute, and I blow this kid's brains out. So just in case the stuff with uh, Rice wasn't enough, go ahead and get this, too. Yeah, kids haven't been threatened enough in the last couple minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, so Davey's out on the plane with the two old people. They have a gun on him. He's got a bomb in his hand that's going to go off in about 20 minutes. And this is where they're trying to get a pilot to fly them to Mexico. And Davey's dad shows up, and... As luck would have it, he is a staff sergeant in the Air Force. While he doesn't know how to fly a plane, he is qualified to, what do you say, take off or to taxi up and down the runway, which is a very useful skill. I can taxi in a plane. I just can't take off or land. Very useful yeah, skill. I, I love that line. I'm I'm qualified to taxi. Yeah, what are you going to drive down to the mini mart? What can you do in a plane without <laughs> taking off and landing? Okay, so, yeah, the dad volunteers. He's like, well, that's my son out there, and I can pass as a pilot, so let me out there. So... So uh, this is uh, Dabney Coleman as the dad. The disbelieving dad is going to have his moment of heroism where he's going to go out and save Davy. He goes out there and he uh, gets on the plane and he's like, let me see the boy. And they're like, no, you don't need to see the boy. And it's it's really a kind of a tense scene. It's a it's I, I know we're we're kind of joking about this movie, which is because we're we're so familiar with it. But this is a really tense, well done scene, these drama scenes. And this in particular, I always like this ending because I think it's they, they do the suspense very well here. Yeah, and I think that some of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes were even like saying like it didn't know, it didn't know if it wanted to be a comedy or a drama. Like it was too serious at times and too funny at times. And that's part of why I love it because there's just so much going on. And to me, that's what makes a perfect '80s movie. If you just have these super serious moments, you have these funny moments. I mean, Cloak and Dagger it does such a great job at that. And so yeah, this is definitely one of those tense moments. Now I have to take that to task a little bit, and, and this is something off the off the the podcast here. Before we started talking about this 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 movie, Ryan said, "Well, it's basically a comedy." I'm like, "No, it's not." Like we're <laughs> so I I, I kind of take that to task a little bit. What, in what way is this movie a comedy? Other than obviously we're making jokes about it, but like, what's funny in this movie? I mean, everything Kim says is funny. Okay. So that's something. Uh, Morris is kind of a joke. <laughs> He's a nice Maybe fat not- man. He might he may not be aware he's a joke, but I mean let's be real. Uh, but yeah, it is. You know, I did watch it again this afternoon. It is mostly a drama, so I shouldn't say it's basically a comedy. Okay. But yeah, I mean, it's got some over the top '80s stuff. But again, it, this movie was never presented as a comedy, and nobody in the theater would have laughed at it in the '80s. It was presented as mm-hmm. a, again, a Hitchcock movie for Disney audience. Really, that's it's it's yeah. played very straight. And yeah, there's like there's some goofy stuff just because we've seen this movie so many times. <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, so the dad gets on the plane, and basically uh, Davy's in the back trying to disarm the bomb. It's down to, like, five minutes, or I forget what it is, but it's getting really tense here. And the dad really pulls a moment of heroism. He's like, uh, David G. Osborne, get up here. This is Ch- Captain Jack Flack. And it's kind of a nice little chill moment where Davy looks up, Dad, is that my dad up there? And so the kidnappers are like, what are you doing? Like, what are you trying to do? He's like, well, I just got to see the boy. I'm just trying to save him. So basically Davy comes running up. There's a big scuffle. And uh, and uh, the dad, Captain Osborne, lurches the plane forward so the kidnappers fall back. Davy runs up in the cockpit, so the dad and the cockpit are all alone. And that's when the old people stumble into the bomb in the back, and they like freak out because this plane's about to blow up in ten seconds. 
And yeah, there's this really, uh, okay, what do you have to say? Why, why does that make you laugh? Just the thought of two lovely old people getting their brains blown out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so there's like 10, 15 seconds left until this bomb blows up. The plane is rolling down the runway, and the dad basically gets Davy dangled out, out the window. He's like, Davy, when you jump down, roll away from the roll away from the wheels. Roll away, escape. Don't don't get sucked up in the engine. So there's a, a scene where... I clear that clearly this isn't Henry Thomas. It's a stunt double, but it's still a a very impressive stunt, regardless. Where somebody drops and like almost gets flattened by an airplane and has to roll away from the wheels. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I totally forgot about that when I rewatched it. I mean, he's about one second from becoming roadkill. Yeah. So. And that's not a blue screen. That looks like a real stunt. Yeah, it does. So yeah, so Davey rolls out of the plane and he watches as it as it roll, rolls down the runway and he tries to run and catch up and he can't. And again, his dad is about to make the ultimate sacrifice. His dad is about to blow up in the plane along with the old guys. And it's a very, again, it's one of the more poignant, I would think, 80s moments I remember as a kid in a movie watching the plane blow up and you think the dad is dead. And, and Henry Thomas, again, a, a really good child actor, sells it. He starts crying. He's horrified. His dad just died. And then, of course, the movie goes for the happy ending where out of the shadow in the in the you see the, the, the silhouette of the fire in the background, the plane is blown up and you see this little uh, shadow walking towards Davy. And then even though it's a blue screen effect, I still think it's pretty well done where it's it's Jack Flack's silhouette. And then as it gets closer, it morphs into Colonel Osborne's silhouette. And yeah. it's really it's kind of cool. Again, it's a blue screen effect. It looks kind of cheap, but it's, it's a neat moment that Dabney Coleman escapes and like and he says something like a. Well, you know, son, Jack Flack always escapes. And it's a cool little moment, like the one time the father and the son have actually had a little moment together. Yeah. Yeah. And like there, there is some cheese with that. I mean, um, as they're hugging and talking like in real time, the fire behind them is in slow motion. I don't know if you caught that. <laughs> yes. But yeah, it really is a great it, it is a great moment. And really, that's the end of the movie. And it's it's implied that the father and the son were he finally understood Davy was telling the truth and Davy finally understood that real people can be heroes too. His dad was a hero. He just stopped the bad guys and they're going to see each other in a whole new light. And that's the end of the movie. And we roll the credits. And again, one of the strongest memories of my childhood was this movie just being a huge deal at the time, especially among kids. And I always say like, like when in the nineties, when Pulp Fiction came out, that was like the standard of cool. Everyone knew that was the coolest thing around, but like, if you're a kid in the 80s, Cloak and Dagger was about as cool as it got. This was a very edgy movie for kids that was it, it was one of the first forays into like a grown-up movie that a lot of kids would have had. Yeah, I agree with that. Even though you experienced none of it because you came out <laughs> 15 years later. I'll, I'll say, I mean, it's goofy, it's serious, but it's it's so great. I mean, if you're a parent, watch this film with your kid. It's a it's just a it's a special movie. It's got a special message. And, you know, every now and then a video game clerk does get brutally massacred and a <laughs> 10 year old threatened with disembowelment or whatever. But it is a nice movie. And I, I do think that parents can enjoy this with their kids. It might be like an eight to 10 year old kid and not a five year old, but watch it with your kid. I mean, it's, it's good. Well, it's funny you hear. I hate to go into Mr. Old Person here, but someone has to do it once in a while where you you read reviews of this movie like, well, kids are in danger. There's guns pointed at them. Kids are being menaced. You can't show that in a movie nowadays. And I'm like. Why not? Like, I mean, I understand that bad things happen in the world, but like there's a place in the world for a movie that says, you know, there's scary, bad things in the world. And if you're a kid, you don't want to get wrapped up in them. And like there's some realism in that message. And like that's the whole point of this movie. Davy lives in fantasy and then he gets involved in a real spy game. He's like, I don't want to do this. I'm a kid. I can't do this. This is horrible. So it's like there's a valuable message in this movie just beyond, oh, a kid's getting guns pointed at him. And that's the one message that I 
I just always want to bring up that I just really don't agree with that mindset that you have to hide the world from kids. Like kids are smart. They get when they see things are on screen that are good or bad and they, they can make up their mind what the message is. And I don't think kids are that stupid. Yeah. And the kind of stuff that kids have access to these days. I mean, all 120 of my middle schoolers, like they all have smartphones. They can Google anything they want. I mean, so it, who cares? Yeah, again, kids are just not weak and soft. All of us in the 80s grew up just fine. I saw movies like this all the time, and this was, you know, we turned out fine. I wasn't terrified of the world. I, I learned, you know, if there's bad guys with guns out there, you might not want to mess with them and take their cloak and dagger tape. <laughs> exactly. Cartridge, not a tape. A tape, I'm sorry. sorry I talked to the, the lingo of the children. Yeah. Okay. The post-credit scene, though, with uh, you find out that Davey has a his uh his walkie-talkie ends up having a bomb too and then he blows up that was kind of sad but the rest of the movie i think is pretty good yeah. rest in peace henry thomas blown to bits <laughs> so anyway this is just one of those movies it was a really big deal in the 80s and it's funny because even like in the 90s i remember looking for it on dvd i was going to show it to my wife for some reason she missed it in the 80s and i was i remember in, a, in like a hollywood video store in like 96 97 i could not find a copy of cloak and dagger even then and I'm like, do you have Cloak and Dagger? And like the video clerk is like, oh, I remember that movie. I'm like, what do you mean you remember that movie? That was a big deal. How is that not in your video store? And it's funny because a couple of years later, I bought it on DVD. Do you do you actually own this on DVD or Blu-ray? I'm curious. I do. I own a DVD of it. It's a double feature with The Wizard okay. starring Fred, Fred Savage. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> I'm not sure. It's a lot of fun, too. I'm not sure this ever got a proper DVD release. I, like I have a copy of a DVD I bought in like 2000 or something. And it's the cheapest crap of any DVD I have. There's no menu or anything. It just starts. Like, there's no... Yeah, my, yeah. mine doesn't have a menu either. There's nothing. It's like, there's this movie got no respect. It was just tossed into the, the trash bin of history where it's a double feature with Fred Savage. Like, what the hell? This was a big deal. <laughs> this was a double feature with Star Trek Three at the time. It was with The Last Starfighter. This was a big deal, and it just got forgotten, and it really kind of bothers me. When I would think, and just I, I'm a big fan of history, like something could be that big a deal at one time, and then it's just not. It was forgotten. And yeah, and there is a like a not the same thing, of course, but there's that Cloak and Dagger TV show that's coming out that has nothing to do with Cloak and Dagger 1984. But I still kind of thought that maybe there would be some sort of just because the name's the same, people kind of recognizing that when they you know search for it on the internet or anything. Mm -hmm. But if anything, this has just made the 1984 one more hidden. Because like I said earlier, like if you Google Cloak and Dagger. You're not going to find anything about the 1984 one unless you're more specific. Yeah. So it's, if anything, it's just going to be more hidden as time goes on. It's really sad. Yeah, and it, that's the thing. This is just the, the type of movie that was made for a show like Staff Picks because, like, these, these are the forgotten old gems, forgotten beloved classics that I'm trying to introduce to a modern audience. And this is just absolutely right at the top of the list. In fact, this easily could have been my first episode. Like, I should have started with Cloak and Dagger because it bothers me that this one's been forgotten to the point. Like, I've seen, like, a... I love the 80s. I love the 80s on VH1. You've seen those, right? Those 80s things? Yeah. They never. Mm -hmm. They don't talk about Cloak and Dagger. Like, they don't <laughs> mention it. But again, this movie was as big as the Karate Kid, and that's what just bothers me. And, like, I could just picture them, you know, bringing up Cloak and Dagger and Hal Sparks on there. His eyes would get all big because you know Hal Sparks knows this movie off the top of his head. Anybody that age would. Right. Oh, so, anyway, Cloak and Dagger from 1984, one of those seminal movies of the 80s that just got dropped for whatever reason – and again, Dabney Coleman just got dropped, and he was a huge movie star and TV star for a while. And it's just one of these things. I just it bothers me that something like this could have been dropped into the dustbin of history. Just as a as a historian on of many subjects, that this one really bothers me that the Cloak and Dagger got forgotten. Yeah, I, I really do encourage anyone that's still listening. Just please go see this movie. 
I mean, and there's so many video game movies that feature video games that are so much fun, and so many of them just don't get talked about anymore. It really is a shame. It's spoken from the youth of America. So I appreciate that I have someone half my age who is here to spread the gospel of Cloak and Dagger as much as I can. It was my pleasure. All right. Before you sign off, anything uh, you'd like to plug, anything you do, or if people can reach you? Do you have anything you want to say before we, we sign off here? Uh, I have the worst Twitter handle ever, but you can follow me on there at, at Ryan Survivor Fan. Um, anything else? I don't think there's anything else. I do have a blog called funfilminglocations.blogspot.com. I've, I haven't posted on there since October, but that's that's kind of like a blog that where I just kind of track what kind of movie locations I've been to. So if you're into that kind of thing, be sure to check it out. I this is gonna this is gonna uh, motivate me to do a cloak and dagger one because I haven't I have those pictures on my Facebook. So if you wanna you can message me if you wanna look at those. But I need to go ahead and make a blog entry for that because when I when we went to see those locations, like you said, we I did a kind of a side by side thing where I showed the picture from the movie and then the picture from the from when we went there. And it, it really it really is pretty cool. So I'll try to get that posted. Excellent. Well, thank you, as always, for joining me. And again, thank you to all the listeners. I really appreciate you guys taking a chance and helping me out with this new podcast. Again, we're only, I think, 11 episodes in, and I've already seen the audience almost triple since the, at the start. So I really appreciate all the people that are listening, that are sending me feedback. Again, if you want to uh, reach me, if you have any feedback about an episode, if you have a suggestion, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And as always, I will be out searching for more underloved, underrated, or unknown movies to share with you guys. So thank you for listening, and I will talk to you guys again then. Thank you. Bye. You know what I'm going to do to you, boy? I'm going to blow both your kneecaps off. It won't kill you, but it'll hurt worse than any dying you can imagine. <laughs>